saying what? But first, a man who describes himself as a technical manager, team leader, biochemical engineer, complex problem-solving specialist, a technologist with a big following. 198.1 thousand followers on Twitter alone. He's been commenting on all aspects of the past three years, as well as helping folk live a healthy lifestyle. By going back to the basics of food choice, he co-wrote the 2018 book Eat Rich, Live Long, Use the Power of Low-Carb and Keto for Weight Loss and Great Health. He goes by the Twitter handle at Fat Emperor, Ivor Cummins. Ivor, welcome to the first week of broadcast of Reality Check Radio. It's great to have you with us. I hear you've been stuck in the snow, but you've made it to your uh, studio to speak with us. I hope everything's okay. It wasn't uh, too traumatic getting stuck, I hope. Oh, not too bad. Thanks, Paul. Great to be here. No, I I got in around 3.30 a.m. We kind of got stuck coming over the Dublin Mountains. And the snow that they threatened, uh, for once it actually happened. Only a few inches, but it froze hard. So we had to get out and push the car at a couple of points, etc. So I got in around 3.30 a.m. And yeah, but let's do this. Good cardio uh, fitness routine for you um, in the middle of the night, right? <laughs> yeah, though, as we saw recently, apparently everything's causing heart attacks all over the world, be including shoveling snow, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll just take it easy. Um, I visited Dublin in the early 90s. My grandfather was born in Dublin and uh, his sister drowned in the Liffey River. So I, I do have a uh, connection oh. That's another story, connection with the city. I really enjoy being there. I've um, made a, a few efforts along the way to get, get back, but it hasn't turned out. So it'll be lovely to get back there sometime. Nice to know that you're there. There's so much to talk about, and you're across so much of it, uh, being the engineer that you are. How would you describe this time? Can you find a word? Can you find a description applying to the last, what, two or three years particularly from the way you see the world? Well, oddly enough, uh, Paul, yeah, I had a word that I repeated many times online and everywhere and um, in conversations, and the word is nonsense. So that's the the word that I overused massively and instinctively. And it's just because nearly every single vector of what was pushed during this uh, pseudo crisis, if you will, I mean, real virus, you know, it hit the aged hard, immunocompromised fair enough it's kind of a real scenario but all of the measures and the asymptomatic transmission the effectiveness of lockdowns which is zero the masks you know the mass testing which was effectively worthless and we knew that from the start from prior uh, epidemics and it was in the who guidelines 2019 you know contact tracing is pointless after a, a high or virus enters a region waste of time and on and on and on. And for me, every single thing I was listening to was non-science, nonsense. So so that's what the period was for me. Utter nonsense. And sadly, the majority somehow bought it. That's an interesting question. Um, if we knew that, it, and I'll get to that, if we knew that it was nonsense, and a lot of us did at the time, it just didn't make sense. And that's a great word to describe it. How, how come it was pushed? relentlessly over time when it was, I mean, most of the details that you mentioned there were, were, were known in advance and yet they, they steamrolled ahead relentlessly. Do we have any idea why that might've happened? Yeah, actually, Paul, and this is where you have to resort to getting into things that sound to an average person, somewhat conspiracy theory like, uh, but they're anything but, so I did many videos on this because the question comes up so much. Uh, one big part of it is mass formation. Um, I interviewed Professor Matthias Desmet, uh, the pub or the not the author of the or what was it again, the politics of totalitarianism. Yeah. Or that may not be correct, but in any case, mass formation is when you inject a narrative into a kind of a a lonely in essence, population and the modern population has loneliness now and a lack of meaning making in jobs. And they're all the preconditions in the population for them to be receptive to a powerful narrative that tells us we're in danger, but that we can all save ourselves by acting collectively. 
you know, old saving granny clapping for the NHS health system. So that's the kind of phenomenon that happened. But in my videos, I explained that there was a, a hysteria that built and fed on itself. So the more the politicians and the media made the people genuinely fearful of this thing, which was absurd, uh, the more they kind of pushed back and demanded and read more newspapers about the fear. You know, it became a, a massive fad. And that was a self-reinforcing feedback loop right. uh, that, that was destructive. So basically, people got wrapped up in an ever-increasing cycle of fear and concern. But the reality is that that whole phenomenon wouldn't happen with, as Professor Desmond said, an injected narrative. There has to be a powerful and maintained narrative that keeps that whole system of humanity moving in, in insane circles. And in fairness, we largely know now because the 2009 swine flu, this was all documented in Der Spiegel magazine in 2010. There's excellent articles. I might send the link. You can include it. The WHO for decades now has been utterly infiltrated by pharma and many, many foundations like Gavi and Gates, and the names go on and on. And it's become a kind of a, a hyper-capitalist business model that you exploit through all your connections and influences at any pandemic, any virus, and you big it up and you create hysteria, and then you've created an enormous market. So I think all the foundations behind the scene were all in place. All the corporations are members of the World Economic Forum. And straight out of the gate, the World Economic Forum was all over COVID. They even wrote a book about it in the summer of 2020, acknowledging it actually wasn't much worse than the flu and also stating it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a great reset of society and the financial system. So I think, in short, there were myriad, very influential international bodies, all linked in with politicians all over the world. And when this thing came along, they started salivating at the potential for it. And that you drove the madness. The academic that you mentioned in the mass formation psychosis as sort of hypothesis or theory, um, do you think that has been reinforced now with the um, the the leaking or the the publicity around? I think through the Telegraph of the WhatsApp messages and some of the very cynical, incredibly cynical um, positions and, and kind of ideas that were coming from certain British uh, politicians and others um, that. That, uh, that that mass formation uh, seizing on to um, you know the anxiety that is free floating I think is his, his idea um, they identified that and and knew that that existed and exploited it which is so cynical isn't it it's, it's incredible almost beyond belief yeah I mean it's stunning what you see in those WhatsApp messages and the classics are in there you know when will we deploy the variant? Now, obviously, they didn't make the variant, but deploy it. When will we use that as a tool of fear and propaganda? And also, this is going to scare the pants off people, or we're going to scare the pants off people with this, and all of those phrases. So quite clearly, they were utterly exploiting it for political ends. Um, at face value, it could be a real expose because it's now safe for newspapers and media to question things, especially the stupidity of populations. You're allowed to question that, uh, even these days with massive censorship since March 2020. Uh, so it could be kind of genuine that the media is more free to exploit this uh, for clicks. Or as many people in you kind of hint to that, is this kind of a controlled release? So flood people with, with how utterly crazy the politicians were, therefore blaming the politicians' ineptitude and stupidity and crassness and taking the attention away from all of what I mentioned a few minutes ago, hmm. all of the international bodies that drove this more than the politicians did, really. The politicians were mainly, I would say, useful idiots right. who were in place and exploiting it for their own ends. but. 
the other bodies and all the institutions were mercenary like in exploiting it. You know, so I think the real problem is with all these institutions, the international bodies and the useless politicians who are technically inept and vain and politically greedy. They're just going to fall into line and go with the nonsense because nothing a politician likes more than control over the people and an easy life through having control. And a virus crisis is it's just manna from heaven for a politician. Yeah. All of Ireland's politicians jumped on board, even the, the opposition people. They all jumped on the madness, even though I got from the inside that many of them or maybe a majority knew it was nonsense. It didn't matter. All other issues and problems were gone for them. All they had to go on about was the virus, and they could basically sit around the house all day. Hmm. Part of that mass hmm. formation, if I heard correctly, when I listened to that professor talking, it can be there can be a pushback if there is sort of information that's that's packaged up in a way that that breaks the narrative or, or, or whatever is is making or generating this mass for, formation. It's kind of a circuit breaker. And I'm wondering if releases like the one we've just been talking about, do you think that that's the sort of information that, you know, will, will drip out, I suppose, maybe it'll be a, a waterfall at some point that has a hope of breaking, breaking the spell? Mm, yeah, it's, at first glance, when it happened, I thought, great, because the more they expose the, the lunacy, the better. But I'm not sure it'll really have the effect that we'd hope for. I think a lot of people have woken up after the incessant booster campaigns and pushing this, this completely inappropriate drug on children. I think a lot of people began to be forced to realize there's something nuts going on here. Uh, but But this thing in the Telegraph... A lot of people now don't want to discuss COVID, you know. It's like a civil war, I often say to people. You know, brother was fighting brother, etc. And afterwards, no one wants to talk about it. It was kind yeah. of that crazy time. And, and that's a lot of people don't want to talk about COVID. And I think a lot of people are realizing, in retrospect, it appears it was kind of a pharma scam, like, like swine flu, but bigger. And it's embarrassing and awkward for them that they were part of it. So they don't want to talk. So I'm not sure how, how powerful an impact the Telegraph stuff will have. I think it's good that people can see how they were made fools of. That's always good. But I think a lot of people are, are not wanting to read the articles and are just not wanting to go there. I think that's a sizable chunk of people still. Hmm. Um, health is at the um, center of this fundamentally and, and that's everyone's vulnerability isn't it we're, we're all worried about our health um if you don't have your health you really don't have anything people know that i've had a few health scares out of heart bypass last year i'm feeling great by the way and i know that you have a massive interest in it and i've tried to get my head around the the quantum of what you've done in that area um on on diet and 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 heart issues and etc um wh where do you think and this is a big brush question, but uh, I suppose in the Western world where we have access to, you know, these pharma um, type medicines and the industry is so powerful, uh, are hum have humans become a slave to medicine or, or, or the health industrial complex? Now, one thing I noticed in hospital so when I was there, people I was with, they had, you know, um, prescriptions as long as your arm. They were, you know, <clears throat> the quantity of of medication that people were taking. I wasn't one of them. I've always sort of kind of pushed back against that, but uh, I had no choice but to be there. But it just blew me away, um, and I was almost trying to calculate what the value that must be in industry terms per individual. And and it it's it's impressive. I can see how they make the profits. Have we become a slave to our perception of of how we maintain our health? And it seems to me that that people don't have much, you know, they don't have broad information on even how they them themselves actually work, tick, um, to make judgments on 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 what sort of health care that they're interested in or know is available. Are we slaves to that health or medical or pharma industrial complex now? And how deep are we in it? 
<laughs> right, Paul. I know uh, it's big, that's a big but, one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so essentially, yes, but to varying degrees. I mean, there's still a lot of people out there who are focused on health, learning about health, um, researching things themselves and distrusting of, of this mass medication kind of lunacy. But, but the majority just go along and whatever the doctor says, that's what I hear most commonly. You know, people just says, look, whatever the doctor tells me I do, and that's it. You know, that's it. So they end up uh, polypharmacy, like you say. I mean, older people particularly, I always said, were a dumping ground uh, for pharma medications. And I forget the figures exactly, but the average person, I think in their 80s, is on an average of six or seven medications. You know, and that's an average. Some people are on 10 or 12. And no one in the industry cares about the contraindications. I mean, there's all these contraindications. If you're taking this, you maybe should not take that. No one cares. You know, it's just clearly the in the business, new medical people will come along and add a medication for some new ailment. They'll throw a pill at it and they all add up. And it's it's something that's been coming for 50, 60 years, primarily the last 50, 60 years. It's just the power of the industry has grown so enormous. And many people hopefully are aware that the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, the head of that tends to go into pharma in a nice plump role after he, he or she finishes and vice versa. Heads of pharmaceutical companies become the head of the FDA. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. The FDA now is essentially a subsidiary of pharma and most of its money comes from pharma. So there's no conspiracy theory here or, or anything other than capitalism um, and profiteering and corporatism gone crazy and now we are in a position yeah where it's become totally absurd and it's going to keep getting worse because that's the other thing i noticed in the last 10 years working in in the health arena uh, the greed of pharma and of the medical system is insatiable so you get to a point where you just think right everyone's so sozzled with medications the profiteering has reached some kind of zenith um Surely it has to just level off and hold at this crazy level, uh, but it doesn't. They can just never get enough. It's like the Wall Street phrase, too much is never enough. Hmm. And here we are. And COVID, we saw the enormous uh, wealth transfer from the people to the medical industry and, and, and other, I don't know, wealthiest people and corporations in the world. Uh, just this huge wealth transfer and a thousand new billionaires were minted during COVID. It doubled the number of billionaires, I believe, in the world. And Forbes covered all of this. Uh, it, they, they just can't get enough. So on health, then, the answer to health is to resolve the root causes, uh, as I always say, of disease. There are many causes. There's no magic bullet. But I will say something really briefly that I always say to keep it as simple as possible up front. Modern chronic disease, the hypertension, the Alzheimer's, the heart disease, you know, and many of the solid tumor cancers that cause the most deaths, many of those are intimately driven and connected to insulin resistance. So high insulin and high blood sugar, that phenomenon that is essentially diabetes. And the thing that's been driving that can be simplified. It's what I call the devil's triad. So it's sugar, refined grains or refined wheats, which are ubiquitous now, and vegetable oils, seed oils, essentially chemically extracted oils in a chemical plant. Those three things are the devil's triad. Those three things make up most of processed food that you have in the supermarket. Most of it is is loaded with those, that triad. And basically, if you took that away magically, Within the next few years, pharmaceutical businesses would have an absolute crisis because hypertension would collapse. um, Heart disease would lessen massively over the coming years, rapidly. And all the other chronic diseases would begin to fade away because they're primarily driven by the devil's triad. And that's as simple as you can put it. Though we have uh, politicians and uh, public uh, servants uh, elected and, uh, and employed to, you know, have our backs when it comes to health, <laughs> um, presumably that this information is available to them. 
So are they part of this sort of game? Uh, 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 I mean, can we assume that there's a, rev- a revolving door kind of everywhere? Yeah, well, I, I often think of them more as, you know, the FDA heads and the heads of pharma and the heads of the regulatory agencies, they're knowing and very smart people. That's how they got there. Yeah. So they know, they would be aware. And senior people in pharma, you know, a lot, they, like my corporation years ago, have competitive intelligence groups that focus on competition. Now, in the weird case of this case we're talking about, the competition is healthy eating. The competition <laughs> is healthy diet. so crazy. I mean, it's literally, <laughs> they fund studies that that seek to knock like low carb and healthy diets all the time. It's just part of business. But when you mention politicians and, and health department kind of public servants, I tend to think most of them are more in the useful idiot kind of category. Right. Yeah. That they they really do believe. And the nutritionists have been trained for 20 or 30 years. I mean, pharma infiltrated and the food industry, the nutrition colleges, centers, and bodies decades ago. So they all get taught that cholesterol will kill you nonsense and whole grains and wheats are good for you, which is absurd. They've been taught that. So now there's a lot of people in the whole mess that kind of actually do believe what they're saying. And that just makes it even, even more difficult to fix, right? I want to use the word experts. Uh, it's one of the most overused <laughs> words, I think, um, that any of us have been hit with. Certainly here in our country, and I'm I'm presuming the same for you guys on the other side of the world. We've had experts trotted out and I've been in news for a long time and, and I know how words stick and that word has stuck. You'll, you'll see in social media interactions with people saying, well, are you an expert? Well, this person's an expert as if it stand back. He's an expert kind of thing. Um, Mm. The role of, you know, first of all, you mentioned doctors before, well, they're the pushers, right? I mean, they're the ones on the street pushing the stuff, uh, for want of a better way of describing it, aren't they? They're at the front end of pushing well, the drugs. Essentially, and they're an interesting mix. What I found there, you would think that doctors obviously need a high level of, of intelligence or at least learning by rote ability to get into medical school. It's very competitive. So you'd think they'd be quite knowing wouldn't you? You'd think they'd be a bit like the FDA kind of top guys. But the reality is, uh, no, overwhelmingly, they are duped. And um, it's just astonishing. So I'm in a large group of 30 Irish doctors and surgeons, and I have a network of thousands of doctors worldwide, all over the world for my 10 years working in in this health sphere. And they all are aware of what we're talking about. But they're a tiny percentage. And I remember someone in a huge clinic on the West Coast. I mean, it was like it was around several hundred doctors in a big extended kind of corporation like they do it in America. Hmm. And a doctor there who's a brilliant individual told me once, he said, Ivor, I'm working for 10 years here. And the number of doctors in these few hundred that would acknowledge what I'm saying, which is the correct thing, what I told you, devil's triad, insulin resistance, yada, yada. Uh, that would even acknowledge that I've got a point I can count on one hand. And they, they, they literally are convinced like the nutritionists, they've come through decades and decades of industry, either nutrition or pharma funding and education support. You know, the, the, the training system has been captured rather than individual doctors. So we have plenty of doctors and professors who are KOLs, key opinion leaders. And yes, pharma capture them and they know what they're doing and they get well rewarded. But the vast majority of doctors are actually captured by the education system, which in turn was captured. Right. So pharma and the rest of these guys are smart capture the education. And we're seeing increasingly now a capture of our schools because at a higher level, we're seeing all these nonsense issues around the world dividing people and they seem bizarre to a to a logical person, you know. But we see they keep getting brought up in schools and there's a big melee at the moment in Ireland. They're trying to teach bizarre anti-scientific stuff to the kids. And I think that's just the industry is they know where to go, capture the education, you know, capture the schools, capture the nutrition and medical education system, 
And then you don't have to go chasing the doctors trying to uh, to turn them. They'll already be turned for you. They'll be freshly hatched with their heads full of nonsense. <laughs> well, we're a long way down in the hole by the sounds of things. Uh, so there are the doctors, and there have been plenty of doctors here who have uh, had career-ending situations over this, and um, their their fellow, their, their colleagues, let's say, if you can call them that, have been very hostile towards them and kind of wanted to destroy their careers, which is really quite, you know, that's that's quite something. Then we've had these range of experts who, if you look into them, they they really aren't experts, but they present well on TV, mm-hmm. and they, you know, we've had our head of um, of the health department, um, Ashley Bloomfield. He, he got a knighthood after he finished for his services to this. And now I see um, he's uh, on video at the latest WHO get-together. We might be able to touch on that. Um, one of the uh, commentators who is a marine biologist with red hair, this woman, um, she became New Zealander of the year. Um, you know, the uh, computer modelers were held up as, you know, uh, Einstein type figures um, almost worshipped and that was kind of bizarre as well you sort of couldn't write yep. the script kind of thing that's mass formation and as Matthias said and I remember now it's actually the psychology of totalitarianism is his book and it's excellent um, but that is one of the qualities of it you know there is ritualistic behaviour there is ritualistic you know, honoring of leaders of the narrative and things get utterly nuts. And he used great examples like the Salem witch trials. You know, most people are familiar with that absolute madness. And it literally just had to run out of steam itself after a load of people were killed and hanged and God knows what. But the 30s Germany and 1930s kind of Stalinist period are great examples at a higher scale. And again, it's a narrative that keeps getting pushed until people are brainwashed and then they will turn on brothers, sisters, whatever. He gave the example of in Iran, I think it was Iran recently, a grandmother uh, oversaw the hanging of her ne- of her um, grandson, I think it was. Yeah, and basically she had turned him in for, for impure kind of religious stuff type thoughts. And yeah, they hanged him. And she was there and she was proud of what she did. Well, there is an example of being caught up in a mass formation uh, phenomenon. And yes, you'll kill your relations. Now, luckily, that didn't happen with COVID. But but we, you know, if it was allowed, as Matthias said, and you referred to, if there weren't rational voices disturbing the hypnosis and, and, and calling it, even though they got abused, they lost their jobs, they were censored, but the very fact they disturbed the wave function, you know, it stopped it progressing into complete insanity. But but all over the world, you know, there were various jurisdictions. I know someone who's in Borneo, and he said over there, the army practically came out to get everyone mass medicated with the experimental drug. And he's one of the only people in the whole country that's not. Wow. So in, in lots of places, it went, it got military style. Uh, but in the West, broadly, the people who were able to speak out about it because we still had technically freedom of speech enough people spoke up to stop it spiraling into some kind of in total insanity but they want to take the freedom of speech away you've seen that now there's laws all over the world in ireland everywhere internet safety for your safety uh, all of that uh, censorship is not in the least for people who are minorities They've already got hate speech laws that cover insight to hatred and insight to hate speech. This is about having blanket ability. If you question the narrative, we can turn a switch. And that's what they're going for all over the world. And yet people still haven't woken up. Why would the governments all in lockstep want censorship type laws all over the West? Well, this is what um, that word lockstep is interesting. And we'll get onto other stuff mm. in a moment, but that that word lockstep is really interesting because, you know, if you sit down and try and think about it, and maybe I'm missing something, but you know, there's a kind of genius involved. Yeah, you know, and and yeah. it's really hard to 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 try and imagine that scale of genius. It's malevolent genius, but you know, to to operate such a big picture you know, operation, lockstep, 
with with um, all with the the local nuances, you know, that are required. But generally, the same kind of plan, and and with forethought, obviously. I mean, I take your point about you know the way pharma has developed as an industry and and the useful idiots of politicians, and you can set that up on the chessboard and, and get a result of more profits, et cetera. But there seems to be a, maybe more of a dimension to this that that I, I still haven't had explained to me or still haven't worked out how at such a scale this can be done. Yeah, you know what? That that bamboozles a lot of people, uh, even one who clearly ones who clearly are aware of general corruption, but they say, hold on, this is an order of magnitude above the normal corruption, which is in itself astonishing that the whole medical industry has kind of it's got its heads upside down on, on how to properly treat and prevent disease. That seems huge, and it is huge, but this is an order of magnitude above, and a lot of people struggle with that. The best I could say is I'm interviewing a guy today, Dr. Jakob Nordengard. I think that's how you pronounce it. He's Swedish. He's published three books, uh, one of them very much relating to this. But he has a talk he gave in Sweden at a COVID conference in late 22. Sadly, I didn't know it was on and I, I missed it. Could have been late 21. And the talk was so good for answering your question that I spent several hours editing it and taking screen captures and enhancing the talk uh, and, and the video overall. And then I released it. And that essentially tells the story starting in the 1950s with the Rockefeller Foundation, the Club of Rome, the Trilateral Commission, Kissinger, Klaus Schwab, a young Klaus Schwab, who, who was uh, basically Kissinger's understudy, and then the European Economic Forum, and then it became the World Economic Forum. And he brings in all of the groups that have been working together incessantly for over half a century, not specifically for COVID, but for a better control and management system of the Western world, essentially. Some people say new world order, and, and that sounds like conspiracy theory. But that phrase was used itself by presidents in the US, have used that phrase. I've heard Bush just a, a senior say it. I've yeah. seen video saying that. And it's just, it's become like, you know, conspiracy theory sounding, but but the thing is, it's just words. It, it just refers to an organized system of groups, interested groups, who are interested in getting a new and in their minds, better way of managing the ant farm is what I call it sometimes. They would like a regulated, tracked and traced, orderly, manageable and fully controllable kind of ant farm, in my words. And yes, it, they've been working for over half a century. And and you know what? Kudos. Because the reality is all of that work, you could have been kind of cynical if you were in those groups at the time of the ultra wealthy and ultra powerful political type people. You could say, oh, come on, guys. Look, this isn't worth it. Let's just let the world go where it wants. But they had faith. And they stuck with it, long game. Um, it even is transgenerational because a lot of them yeah. knew that they wouldn't achieve it in their lifetime. And this video, 40 minutes, basically gives you all you need to know. It's a one-stop shop. And after it, you'll be under no illusions anymore. And it's all historically referenced, um, screen captures, book fronts, and newspaper clippings. It's geopolitics but in a way you could never have imagined. And that's mm. essentially what the, this is. It's ultra long game geopolitics. And you know what? They're doing a good job. I have to acknowledge it. So will I. Um, I'm on the um, a main road here. So you're probably hearing a siren pass there. <laughs> Emergency somewhere. But it's gone now. Um, the term conspiracy theorist. I'm bloody well over it, i got to say. Um, it's the it, it's what's thrown back without uh, any other thought or analysis by, I don't know, it's it's the equivalent of putting your fingers in your ears and, and, and saying la, 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 you know. Um, uh, and I've heard about the origins of, of, of that term. But, it, you know, anyone who has any questions is now a conspiracy theorist. How long do you think this this term can last with any sort of meaning? Yeah, well, 
it's never really had any meaning except in on occasions when it's used it is true that it's talking about a fanciful idea um a silly thing uh something completely ridiculous like aliens are running the government uh, so there are conspiracy theories out there that are that are silly of course uh, but most of the ones in the last few decades are are just fal- false flag operations or geopolitical uh, kind of genuine conspiracies, but to be honest, they're mostly published if you go looking, like the video I was talking about in this doctor. Uh, it's all published. It's just the media won't cover it because the media have largely been kind of revolving doored as well or or taken over. I mean, that's clear during COVID. I think it is. Uh, but the, th- yeah, the phrase is, I, I, it came out in the 50s, I think, CIA and all those, they, they just realized that there's no better uh, kind of weapon against people questioning what they're doing and their real conspiracies and false flags than to create this monster conspiracy theory and call everything that. And now no one knows what the hell is real or not. And I did a video on the the term recently, a couple of weeks ago on my YouTube. And I was wondering, well, how do you tell the difference or how do you help lay people? And I thought about it for a while and I made a six item checklist that helps lay people tell the difference between a probable real conspiracy, which does not have to be secret. Uh, conspiracy does not have to be secret. It can be kind of covert and not publicized, but it doesn't have to be secret, you know, Masonic cults. <laughs> uh, and how could you tell the difference? And I ended up going for uh, the criminology. It hit me. Uh, means, method, and opportunity. I said, they're good things to check because that's what applies to whether a crime was committed. And conspiracy is a crime. And you need to analyze it like a detective, really. So means, method, and opportunity. And then I put, is there a present propaganda and censorship combo? Right. If there's propaganda and censorship around this thing, you can be almost certain on, the, on its own, that checklist item, that it's real. I mean, with the stupid conspiracy theories, you don't see the propaganda and censorship around them. You know, so that's a great one. And I had a couple more categories, but to cut a long story short, I just explained how you can, if you take, for instance, the weapons of mass destruction that got the US and the UK into Iraq, we have the benefit of hindsight now. We know that was a conspiracy. Um, But when you put it through the checklist, it's clear as day. And it was at the time. Propaganda, censorship, journalists were fired in the New York Times all over, simply for covering the other side of the weapons of mass destruction story. Uh, journalists were fired. It's on the record. You know? So, yeah, it, it's a good weapon. Again, I'll, I'll, I'll hit you with one that's guys. going down. I'll hit you with one right now and run it through your right. taste. Ukraine. Mm. So, if you took that one, and that's a very big topic, because... In fairness, it's a real war, and Putin really did invade, and so there's a lot around it that's that's just reality. But if you would have to define it, and I also said in the video, you've got to very carefully define what you're talking about. It's like an engineering problem solving. The problem definition is a crucial step that many don't do properly, and then they go and they get lost. So with 9-11 example, really briefly, I defined it as the Twin Towers, not any other building, right? came down because of explosives slash CIA and not the planes with the 20,000 gallons of jet fuel. And that test failed. Now, there's other stuff around 9-11 that very well may be conspiracy. But on the Ukraine war, the definition might be, is the Ukraine war essentially a proxy war for the US and NATO uh, on the geopolitical chessboard and has essentially nothing to do with Ukraine, all of the support to the West has nothing to do with wanting to help Ukraine. Well, check that one out and go back to 2014 when the USA-led coup of the Russian kind of uh, supported new president, democratically elected, and they went in and they got a coup and it got thrown out. They put a weirdo actor in instead, who by all accounts, you know, was a a millionaire or billionaire, even though he's basically a useless actor. And, you know, you start filling out all the data in the checklist. And then there's propaganda. The, the propaganda is, to be honest, it, 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 it nearly surpassed COVID levels. And I don't know how I could ever even say that after COVID. The propaganda is just insane on Ukraine. And it exploded out of nowhere like the universe creation 15 billion years ago. 
you know, we all saw it and most people fell for it. But yeah, it's a proxy war uh, for the US, NATO's interests. Russia are feeling increasingly hemmed in on their Western border and and the West is breaking the rules and it's pushing its bases and its influence right up to Russia's door. You know, mm-hmm. that's it's crazy. I mean, the war is terrible, obviously. It's terrible that Russia is coming course. in. It's terrible yeah. that people are dying. Fine. That's all true. But that's a distraction by blathering on about the soft side of it, the kind of emotional side. Geopolitics. It's as I described it. It's a proxy war and it's chess playing at a geopolitical level and it's a dangerous game it's a very dangerous game but you could argue the west has to play it because the dollar hegemony you know the petrodollar mm-hmm. its day is waning and you know the forces in the east and the BRICS plus saudi arabia is in now and, and egypt i think is getting in on the BRICS countries there's a whole block of power and trade building over there that's going to walk away from the dollar and that's going to leave the us and our side of the house in serious trouble there's huge, huge things at play here that the person in the street is clueless about. Uh, this is nothing to do with Ukraine. If Ukraine was over in the Far East, like some foreign country that wasn't strategically important, no one would know about it. It's sad, but that's it. Hmm. Um, the WHO uh, have been meeting, I think they're still meeting, um, to, mm. um, I don't know, create a framework of international health regulations, and I see you've, you know, outlined some points uh, about that. How worried, because again, you, you, you're kind of at risk of being called a conspiracy theorist for even mentioning this in certain circles. But when you kind of drill into it, what it means is, well, essentially a, a big loss of freedom as we understand it and we think is God-given kind of at that level. What have you been saying or thinking and saying about what, they're up to at the moment and we're involved i mentioned some of our officials are there there have been photos taken people are trying to work out who they are who are these people but um if this was to deploy as they wish what will it mean i'm sure you've got some thoughts around that yeah paul well look it's it's a major concern there's no question about that um and briefly the who when people wonder where lockdowns came from well, you need to look no further than the WHO. So Bruce Aylward, their top envoy, I think he's he's second or third in command to, to Tedros or whatever, was in, I have the video, I've shared it many times, was in China with a silly blue mask on with all the Chinese media in front of him and no, no doubt the handlers from the China Communist Party and all the usual. And he was talking about what an amazing job they did with lockdowns. And this is funny, Paul. I wish I had the graph here. He shows the standard Gumpert's curve of rising fast and falling away of the virus seasonal activity that we saw all over the world, completely natural. And he points at it and he said, look what you guys have done with the lockdown. And he he points at it as if the lockdown had turned the curve, which we know is entirely natural curve. And he basically said the immortal words then, uh, a few minutes later in discussion, he said, all countries, you know, are, will have to do this. So Bruce Aylward decided pointing at one associational graph, which was meaningless. He said two lies. He said, first, look what you guys did. Great job. That's a lie. We know now 100%. We have the data from 100 studies. Lockdowns do nothing. We know why. Um, And then he said, the whole world's going to have to do this. And that was in February. So the the WHO may have good people still in it, rattling around there. But the WHO, and with Tedros and everything he's done, is clearly an organization now that is a major, major threat to Western democracy, safety, freedom, and health. That's just the way it is. A lot of good people probably in there doing good things. But it's been captured so phenomenally uh, which you can see by Aylward and, and by Tedros's actions have been nothing short of just farcical. Uh, and now they want to get an element of sovereignty over the whole world. I mean, obviously, that's that's a terrifying thought. And I recently shared those bullets. Someone else generated them, but I've shared various uh, versions. But someone came back and said, Ivor, that's not really true because that one where it says it'll take some of your sovereignty or sovereignty 
Uh, that's not true. And see the passage in section three point whatever. And I read it and I looked at it. And I said, that that says they're going to take our sovereignty because <laughs> the, the passage kind of said the WHO will not overrule local country measures that are taken, yada, yada. But all it's saying in careful language is we let you take your own measures that achieve the same or better result as our mandated ones. In other words, we let you be even crazier than our pharma dystopian nonsense. That's all it says. So, like, it's shocking what's in that. And again, all our politicians were the same in Ireland. A few donkeys pulled out of nowhere in Ireland are, are involved. And they don't have a clue, obviously. They'll all go and sign it and they'll get a lovely meal and they'll get wine and they'll probably get nice business travel and they'll be delighted. Because they're idiots. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, it's crazy. The world. Now. Our line of defense is it's not a very good one, is it? Um, and that's what yeah. just just kind of base level, what pandering, a bit of greed in there from the politicians. They always want to be in there and snout in the trough, and that's. But they don't think of of their fellow citizens or the people they're representing. It, it kind of doesn't mean much to them at all. No, they've sadly, it's just, it's been a pattern happening. I've watched for 20 years where people always liked complaining about politicians, even 30 years ago. But back then, a lot of the politicians really were trying to lead their country and do the good thing. And sadly, I've watched over the last 20 years, it's just down to a level now where, you know, it's kind of hen's teeth to find a genuine politician. It's just yeah. been completely infested now with vain and self-interested um kind of lackeys and um and some of that latter group end up up the top as prime ministers and as leaders and then they've got enormous signatory power on behalf of the whole country but i mean the bunch of them they're a bunch of charlatans largely and i know it's easy to just complain about politicians and it's something that people always did like and it was a bit 30 40 years ago you could just be venting to complain about them but now it's genuine. I mean, they literally disgust me, I, especially the Irish ones. I mean, it's just, they make my skin crawl because I'm a corporate guy. I'm 30 years in complex problem solving. I'm nearly 20 years in people management of large teams, direct HR people management. And that's another whole area of skill uh, and psychology and understanding of psychology, obviously. And um, so I sit here in this position of experience and I look at, I look at the politicians and they make me sick. I mean, I, it's just, and your guys in New Zealand, I mean, our Dern was so false. Like, it's to someone it's who's cookie skilled, cutter again. It's everywhere. It's sort of cookie cutter. Oh, type. Trudeau. I mean, you're talking about the most sickening. And by the way, all those politicians, back to our early thing about that, the World Economic Forum, all of the worst ones around yes. the world are all uniquely have one thing in common. They were all young global leaders, like basically like a nursery uh, in the WEF, they went on the program. So they were all brought in and, and given the, uh, you know, the education and the narrative and the religion. So they went on to become leaders in their countries, helped, no doubt, by a lot of contacts enabled by WEF that moved them up the chain fast. And here they are. So we're now led by lackeys of arguably one of the most evil associations on the planet Earth. But hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good question. A couple more things I want to ask you about. I want to circle back to health at the end because I, I, I know you've done, you have a, a lot to say about statins and many people are taking them and I've been prescribed them as well. So I got a, a, a bit of skin in the game there. Um, a, another thing that seems to be causing um, issues now here, um, and I think it's very difficult for people to decide sort of which side of the line they're on. And that's this whole transgender phenomenon and not only um you know that but it going down to the level of kids now and uh i mean my children are grown up uh, now so it's not really relevant to me but uh i i know people who have got kids in school who have taken them out of school because they're very concerned about how their children are being taught and the sorts of images and sort of concepts that are being 
thrown at them at a very early age, which is obviously inappropriate. I mean, come on, it's inappropriate um, yeah. uh, at that age. Um, from a systems point of view, um, how, how do we explain this? Because I've read that, you know, the fall of empire has these phenomenons happen and it could be some kind of pointer to, you know, civilization in trouble. I, I mean, I don't know, but th there, there has to be some explanation for the rise and the rise. And not only that, the, the, the kind of, I mean, a lot of the community is supporting this. They will take their children, for example, to, to drag shows at the local library and, and kind of think that's cool and all right. I mean, am I missing something? Are we missing something? Uh, how do you, have you thought much about that? Yeah, well, I recognized all this disproportionate promotion of this kind of equality. Uh, so as a corporate manager in a household named corporate, I obviously had to run the whole politically correct campaigns. But I used to be bemused and the other managers there who are quite cynical and quite quite skilled in, in Ireland, particularly in that business, we all used to chat about it carefully at lunchtime at the absurdity of the political correctness that was coming down the line. And particularly a lot of this kind of stuff. And it hadn't quite yet got to transgender, but similar kinds of things. And I always wondered as an expert problem solver, what's the reason, the cause for that? Because I just sensed it was not grassroots, really, though loads of people were jumping on board. And then the only thing I could figure at the time was, and it wasn't a bad answer as a cause, because to your other point, Paul, yes, end of empires and collapsing civilizations, lots of craziness happens. But I think the arrow of cause is the other way here, that this stuff is being used as a tool to nudge modern populations into the right direction to be more susceptible to the other stuff that we talked about earlier. So I, my cause, I thought, maybe the corporates are pushing this so relentlessly this absurdity, because they sell more street sneakers. Essentially, it's cool, it's popular. And by being on board and supporting this and rainbow that, they sell more crap. And that's the only answer I could come up with. But it wasn't very satisfying to me. It somehow didn't feel. It felt I was missing something in the shadows, you know, because I obsess about problem solving and causes. So years later, actually, more recently, I, I've kind of worked it out and I found the, uh, I think, Empire Magazine articles and others have covered this over the last few years. Uh, it's being driven, actually, more from a tops down. So there's a couple of billionaires in uh, America. There was a big Esquire article about it, I think 2016. And they said the big money behind the trans movement. And that was a mainstream. And it was a fascinating article. And not only are this multi-multi-billionaire uh, uh, brother and sister created a foundation to drive trans, education on trans, medical stuff to convert your sex for your kiddie, right? But they were bringing in much more, all the corporates. And corporates were coming in as supporting members. So you get the picture. Yeah. And if you look at World Economic Forum, right, the true axis of evil that's been running for 50 <laughs> years on this long game towards where we are today, what do they talk about on their timeline round the clock? They talk about COVID. They talk about digital currencies, AI, and tracking and tracing and technology. Yeah. What's the third thing? Round the clock, they talk about gender equality, transgender equality, equality, equality. So it's quite clear this is perceived correctly by the people, the long gamers. It's perceived as a way to further atomize society, to just chip away at culture, tradition, and common sense. As Professor Desmond said, it's very important in a mass formation if you're driving the narrative to make sure it's quite absurd, because the more people buy into an absurd narrative, the more they're actually taking psychological stake in the whole thing. Yeah, the more they're invested in, in it, right? Yes, there's power in ritual, especially absurdity. So I think uh, <laughs> to finish it up, 
This is just correctly identified by the smartest guys in the room. Let's be honest, the guys driving this long game, they are the smartest guys in the room largely because look at all our idiots in the population who've fallen for it. So they've rightly said, they probably brainstorm many times, what are a list of compatible adjacencies as we would have done in competitive intelligence exercises? What are a list of things we can drive that will synergistically together help towards the goal uh, of, of getting a manageable ant farm. And absolutely, this trans stuff would be bang in the middle of that. The average person would find it hard to understand, but I hopefully have described it. The smartest guys in the room who have access to all the psychology and history, and they read it at length, they would see this as a really useful extra strand in the long game project. And they'd be correct because it divides society, it undermines society, and it begins to break down your kind of historical norms. And that for them is perfect. It's grist to the mill. That's it. It's not really that complex at all. I wish I got it years ago, but years ago when I was trying to tease out this question, I was missing data. You know, so I assumed it was basically financial or selling goods somehow. But but later, of course, the data came in. And when I went looking, I found the articles like Esquire magazine. It's actually been in the mainstream. It's been discussed. It's just no one noticed. To finish up on, because I've, I've read a bit about what you've said mm -hmm. about this medication. And like I said, I got skin in the game. I was um, um, prescribed statins as part of the package after leaving um, September last year, mm. out of the um, the cardio ward, following my quadruple bypass. Anyway, so that was an experience, um, and I started reading up about them. Um, I'd heard of them before, and I knew they related to cholesterol. I think I'm right in that. Um, and what I started to read sort of made me worry a bit. And I've actually stopped. I mean, here's a confession: I've stopped taking them. Uh, I don't think that that kind of necessary for me if I'm you know, doing, um, well, well, the jury's out and I've, I've talked to, uh, for me, I've talked to a cardiologist in my hospital and it's just like, Oh no, you got to do that. You know, it's just part of the package, you know? And, and there was no, there was no kind of discussion. Didn't really want to talk about it. It was like, come on dummy, just do what you're told. So I've been, you know, sort of, um, you know, obsessing a bit over that. So, so tell me, because so many people take these drugs, and you mentioned, you know, earlier on in the chat about how did you describe it? That sort of unholy alliance of vegetable oils and oh. and um, and carbs and you know wheat and all that and and uh, insulin uh, resistance is it is what you called it or yeah insulin condition, um, you know um, that's there. So so for people who are listening at the moment, and there'll be a few on, on this. Um, maybe you could just give them a bit of information. I mean, we don't have to do a deep dive, but you know, what can they do? Where's a good place to go to 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 find out more? And are there other things they can do to um, maybe pull out of that medication if they can? Yeah. Okay. No, Paul. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, that, it's a big question, but I'd I say up front that myself and Dr. Gerber um, in Denver, my co-author and buddy in 2018, uh, wrote the book, Eat Rich, Live Long. Yep. It sold extremely well, and we put years into it. And I looked recently, and, and I had to glance back and remind myself what we had in it. And I was, I was quite pleasantly surprised. Uh, there's nothing I would update. It's timeless. And the CEO of the publisher at the time said that. He said, Ivor, I've read this book. This will keep selling indefinitely, unlike most books. Cool. Cool. As he yep. said, this is something else. But anyway, eat rich, live long. And it's it's on all the usual sources. That covers everything, including statins, including all the cholesterol with appendices and deeper scientific detail on everything. So that's first. But to keep it simple here, I'll give you two facts. One fact is that from the American government, and this is around six years ago, survey, 64% of over 45s are either diabetic or pre-diabetic. Right. And now I can tell you that pre-diabetic and diabetic is a nonsense distinction. Pre-diabetic is type 2 diabetic. 
It's just, just, just an artificial level at which they say it's free. It's nonsense. Um, the reality is it's actually higher than 64 government figures because they're not measuring the blood insulin. It's not done in the business. And if you measure that, you pick up another five or probably 10% who are essentially type 2 diabetic. So think about that. Around three quarters of adult Americans over 45 are essentially diabetic. Right. Well, now, type 2 diabetic physiology is overwhelmingly, which is insulin resistance. It, it, they're the same thing. Type 2 diabetes is insulin resistance. That insulin resistance problem is the overwhelming elephant driving cardiac disease and Alzheimer's, and many of the, the highest fatality cancers are also strongly linked. So three quarters over 45 have a disease process, which is astonishing. Yes. I mean, if 10% of your population has this particular disease, say, oh my God, three quarters. And that's the disease condition that drives most, nearly all cardiac disease. And here we are. No one even talks about it. The doctor just talks about your cholesterol, which is almost peripheral, almost nothing to do with it. Well, that's what I the wonder. Statins, yeah. Yeah. Well, the cholesterol is just nonsense. Recently, a, a paper came out, and I've been going through these for 10 years. Always the same answer. But recently, a paper came out and showed if you've got a zero calcium score in the calcium scan I've been promoting for, for seven or eight years now, it's just a five-minute scan, and it tells you how much heart disease you have like nothing else. If you get a zero on that, even if you're in your 60s, your cholesterol level no longer predicts at all anything to do with heart disease in your future. So cholesterol now, is, for the 50th time, it doesn't predict anything worth a damn if you've got a zero score. But for the people who do have a score, you know what the risk ratio is for each one millimole? Or, or 40 milligrams of LDL bad cholesterol. That's a big jump having an extra millimole. Uh, for each extra millimole, huge jump, uh, you've got a 1.1 times higher risk of a future event. This is what I've been saying for years. A risk ratio of 1.1 is a joke. Yeah, It's just a joke. You can't do anything based on that. A risk ratio needs to be double or more to be meaningful. So the statins... Not really through the cholesterol, but they do have an action that can stabilize plaque, the plaque that bursts and gives you a heart attack. They have been shown in trials to have a benefit. The problem is that the benefit is so small to an engineer that it's just not the issue we're talking about. Side effects versus benefit. The problem is not that they don't have some benefit. That's okay. But the benefit to me is just it's a waste of time. Uh, to give an example, British Medical Journal 2016, paper published, huge controversy, was never retracted, you know, even though everyone said this should be taken down. It's outrageous, right? Never retracted. Okay, that tells you something. They did an analysis of all the statin trials, or loads of them, and they used a graphical format, PhDs, doctors, team of people, and they asked the question no one had ever asked or answered. What's the average life extension related to statin use? How much longer do you live with the statin versus not? From the pharma company's own trials, which you could argue are biased in their favor, but we won't go there. It was 3.1 and I think 4.2 days, depending on whether you had a heart attack or didn't. <laughs> okay. Five years of medication, and the data said, on average, you're eating that medication for five years. Maybe you're having problems with neurologically or muscle aches or God knows, all that stuff. Five years, and on average, you get a ticket for four days extra life. That's yeah. meaningless. Yeah. Even a month or two, it, to be honest, is meaningless, largely. In the scheme. That's of it. Yeah. It's so, things. Come on. Is this another... And if you stopped eating the devil's triad, yeah. if you were eating it and you How stopped... much more do you buy on that? <laughs> I I would say switching from a modern Western diet full of the devil's triad, which is the cause of most modern chronic disease. I mean, it's not the total cause, but it's the big elephant. 
Yeah. And you remove all that and you just eat meat, fish and eggs and above ground vegetables, meat and two veg, and you stick to it. It's not easy. Processed food is addictive. We've got a massive uh, food addiction problem, the population. But you do that. It wouldn't be surprising for a, a, a pre-diabetic 54-year-old accountant who did that and stuck to it uh, to add 10 years to the life. Wow. And the next 30 years, every day of them would be far higher life quality by doing that. Because you lose weight, you look great, you sleep better, you'll be more have more mental acuity. I mean... Everything's better. It's not just weight loss. It's not just heart disease risk. If you switch to meat, fish, and eggs, real human evolutionary food, you know, paleoanthropologically, why we got here, hmm. meat, fish, and eggs, and vegetables for minerals. They bring minerals from the earth. There's some benefits there. Fiber doesn't matter so much, but they bring in minerals and nutrients and vitamin C, and good. Meat, fish, and eggs, and vegetables, cut out everything else. Whole life will change. Whole life will change. People don't realize this. Well, that's a great note to end on. It's been a, a great <laughs> chat, Ivor. Thank you for making some time for us and to be appearing in our first week. It's, it's been a big deal for us. And uh, I hope we can chat again sometime. I'm sure we will have an opportunity to do that. I'm really hoping anyway. Thank you for joining us and imparting your knowledge and information and, and opinions, etc. It's fascinating and uh, all the best. Thanks a lot, Paul. Anytime. Great stuff. Bye.